that's where it becomes a bit tricky. And where there's a great area for the 2022 tax year is you only have 40 business days to then file your return when you do not agree with your auto assessment. So it seems as if the, the deadline of the 24th of October is not applicable to these taxpayers that are chosen for auto assessment and they need to comply with that 40 business day rule. Welcome to the My Money, My Lifestyle podcast, where we discuss all things money, because whether or not we like it, money matters. And it's tax filing season. So this means that as non-provisional taxpayers, we have until the 24th of October to file our returns. Obviously, some people look very forward to this tax season because they get a rebate. But for many of us, it can feel a little bit overwhelming. You know, what tax deductions are we allowed? What if I make a mistake in my tax return? So to help us unpack all of this, I'm joined by Renat van Rensburg, who is a tax legal specialist at the Leap Group. Renat, I'm going to start right in the beginning with this this concept of auto-assessment. This is a kind of new thing. It's been, I think this is the third year of auto-assessments. Yeah, Yeah, and it's a bit confusing. And and maybe just unpack for people, what is auto-assessment? What does it mean for us? So SARS started with these auto-assessments around about 2019. And I believe the big reason behind it was, well, especially Edward Kisveter's uh, intention to streamline the tax filing experience for normal taxpayers, whose tax affairs are not complicated at all. So where they can re- receive the information from the income from third parties, such as banks and, and fund administrators, financial institutions and employers, uh, they want to... Um, avoid having the taxpayer to go into the branch. Um, and I believe that was first when COVID hit. That was the main intention, is to avoid having anyone go in, have to go into the branch that the returns can be assessed automatically. So the auto assessments artwork is aimed at taxpayers if taxes are not complicated. So if you receive a normal employment income, you have your medical aid contributions, your retirement fund contributions, and you don't receive any other income other than employment, then you can be uh, chosen for auto assessments and in that case your income return will already be assessed by SARS based on third-party information and the big difference between 2021 tax year and the 2022 tax year is in the sense that you do not accept the assessment anymore it's automatically provided to the taxpayers but you can still review it and make sure that everything's in order and that's extremely important to um, make sure that all the information corresponds with the certificates received uh, with your RP5 and that all the amounts are correctly populated um, in, in accordance with the assessment. And if you do not agree with the assessment, you can file your tax return as per normal manually uh, via e-filing. So, and that's where it becomes a bit tricky. And where there's a great area with, for the 2022 tax year is you only have 40 business days to then file your return when you do not agree with your auto assessment. So it seems as if the, the deadline of the 24th of October is not applicable to these taxpayers that are chosen for auto assessment and they need to comply with that 40 business day rule. You, you can apply for extension, but only if you have reasonable grounds. So I believe if you are still waiting for certificates or to make sure that information is correctly populated on your um, assessment, um, I believe that themselves will allow you extra, let's say, 21 business days uh, to file your return. Renat, that's an incredibly important point you've just raised here. So we're all saying, guys, you've got till the 24th of October. Actually, you don't. If you have been selected for auto-assessment, and we're talking 
hundreds of thousands of, 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 of people probably likely to be assessed like that. You don't have till 24th of October. You've got from 40 days from the time you get that SMS to say yeah. you've been auto-assessed to check it out and pick up if there are any errors. And yes, I mean, that's, that's, that's something correct. people didn't realize. I didn't know. Yeah, so that's absolutely correct. And, and especially for taxpayers who were chosen for auto-assessments, but they received rental income or they received another source of income that SARS has not picked up on yet. Um, and for those taxpayers, it's extremely important to still submit the return and to mm. make sure that those income is still um, declared to SARS because the owners of proof remains on the taxpayer. Mm. So even though you're selected for auto-assessment, it does not mean you are now, okay, SARS did not pick up on any of the income, I'm fine. And um, that's not the case. Uh, if SARS picks up on it later on, you can have huge problems or legal action being taken from SARS side. And Renan, do you actually have to verify? So, so I know last year they were actually giving penalties to people who didn't go and just verify the auto assessments. They saw it, they said it left it, and they didn't go and click through. Is that going to happen again this year? What happens if you do nothing about the SMS and you just ignore it? So that's the difference between the 2021 year and the 2022 tax year. Uh, there's no so you don't have to accept the assessments. It's automatically assessed, and if the 40 day business days lapse, then the assessment becomes final. And then that's your, the amount that's determined by SARS, whether it's a refund or tax due, um, that's the amount that you need to adhere by. Mm. And then you can take the further steps if you do not agree um, to object to the assessment mm. or anything as such. And in terms of penalties, I believe once an assessment has been raised, that means that the return was already um, revised by SARS and, and assessed by SARS and it's made final. Uh, so, there won't really be something like a late submission with these auto-assessments. Um, it's already assessed by SARS, and, and mm-hmm. SARS are happy with your income as it stands based on third-party information, and then, yeah, going mm-hmm. forward, it's, it's fine. Because at like late in the 2021 tax filing season, uh, SARS, I think it was the 1st of December, SARS announced that they now have the power to levy administrative penalties for late submissions, Previous in the past, it was when you have two or more outstanding returns. Now it's only if you have one or more outstanding returns, um, they can levy an administrative penalty. Sure. So I mean, exactly, the penalties are coming fast and furious. So the the and one one very cynical tax consultant said, and I'm not going to necessarily ask you to confirm or deny, but he said actually what SARS almost wants is they almost want people not to declare income. That's they owe um, because over if you do that for three years, you, you spoke about the rental income and there's a lot of people who think SARS is not going to find their rental income and they're hiding it. SARS is quite happy because in three years time, they've been watching it. They're able to prove it. They go back. They say, you know, those three years, not only do you owe us that plus the interest, we're going to whack you with penalties and they just have a much bigger windfall from you afterwards. So I think people need to understand that when if SARS is not picking it up now, it doesn't mean you're not on their radar. And that's very important to understand. Because I had a quite interesting discussion with a, she she worked at SARS for a lot of years and she was part of the training team at SARS. And she has a quite interesting uh, comments on what what our SARS thinks and our SARS handles things from their side. And it believes that SARS can even be connected to the leads office. So they're aware of your assets and they can obtain that information if they want to. And see that, okay, this taxpayer has five properties. Um, but they're not declaring any rental income. I mean, and, and that could possibly trigger a lifestyle audit. And SARS mm-hmm. can question into your assets and your income that you actually receive. 
because um, I, I don't know if you saw it, I think it was last year when they attacked those taxpayers with Lamborghinis and that expensive cars, but in reality, they only declare I'm mean, 15,000 Rand a month, for example, as the income. And how do you then drive those type of cars? And so I was previously also looked at your social media even um, to see how is your lifestyle and, and, and to pick up on small things to come to a conclusion to say, okay, well, now we've established that you're actually receiving a much higher income that you're declaring. Um, please advise on the past. And I know they're even working with 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 insurance. You know, they're, they're checking you know insurance premiums. But hold on, you're insuring a Lamborghini, <laughs> yeah. yeah, or a, a Rolex or whatever. So so these lifestyle audits are becoming quite uh, you know you know quite important for for SARS as well. And I know they are working a lot around that. And and of course, mm-hmm. lifestyle audits are also not just for tax avoiders; they're also for corruption. So I think we from that perspective, I think we can all be happy that they're also looking. They always say, in the end of the yeah. day, it's a tax man who will get you. <laughs> Yeah, somewhere down the line. <laughs> now, I wanted to talk a little bit about deductions because um, that's obviously the one big benefit of, of submitting a tax return. Because, you know, they do say, you know, it used to historically be, well, if you earned less than 500000 and you had one employer, you didn't need to do a tax return because you'll pick it all up. But yeah. those deductions are very important, um, you know, and maybe just like some of the things that people must make sure they're getting their, their deductions on. What are the yeah. sort of key ones? Yeah, so... As you mentioned previously, when we just had a casual discussion, is you have the medical aid contributions, retirement into fund contributions, but we need to distinguish between employer provided and personal uh, contributions. Because if let's say you have a pension fund or a, or a provident fund and it's employer provided, that will be already factored in with your pay as you earn and your uh, income based on what uh, your employer was holding in terms of pay as you earn, they already adjusted it on your RP5. And it's already reflected as a deduction on your RP5 itself. So you just need to make sure that your RP5 corresponds um, with what's actually pre-populated on your return. And mm-hmm. when it comes to personal contributions, you will get your retirement community fund contribution certificates to specifically see how, how much of the contributions you made within the tax year and then to just make sure it's correctly populated on your return as well. The same for medical aid contributions because... That's not actually a deduction. It's rather a rebate um, to minimize or, or lessen your tax liability directly. Um, so you just need to make sure that that amount that's reflected in your certificates um, also corresponds with what's on your return. I actually think that med- it's interesting. The medical aid scheme, well, tax credits for your medical aid schemes are a lo- something a lot of people don't realize, especially if, they, if their medical scheme is not through their employer. If they take out their medical scheme themselves, they don't realize that they're getting back, you know, a fair amount of money. It's, it's a couple of thousand rand per per member, or, you know, of, of the medical scheme. So a very important one to to make sure. And and I know you can deduct also medical expenses that are beyond what you, what was refunded by the medical scheme. But it, it, we're not going to go into that because it's quite yeah. a calculation. But <laughs> if you've had a lot of bills, it could also be. Yeah. So that yeah, that just forms that just falls part of the the medical tax rate calculation. Yeah. Um, yeah. If it, you didn't like, but just for general, if you did add medical expenses that you did not claim for medical aid, make sure you keep those invoices. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's yeah. another. And talking about keeping your medical bill invoices for for tax deductions, your logbook. So when do you, if you get a travel allowance, you always have to submit a logbook. How does a logbook work? So in terms of a logbook, uh, what SARS looks at is your opening kilometers for the year of assessment, closing kilometers for the year of assessment. 
important to have your date on the logbook itself and then also the distinguish between business trips and personal trips. And then the opening and closing kilometers of each trip taken um, is very important. And to have that spreadsheet is extremely, extremely important when submitting your return to claim that and to make sure that SARS are aware that this part of your travel allowance was actually spent on business and mm. for business trips and not for personal trips mm. to make sure to get that deduction that you're not taxed unnecessarily um, on amounts received in terms of travel. And another question I get quite often is when do I become a provisional taxpayer? When does one, what triggers the provisional taxpayer, which is of course different because you, you actually have to submit twice a year, you pay tax twice yeah. a year as opposed to once a year, or actually three times a year at the top up. But just explain how, how what triggers that event. So a lot of people avoid it easily and just say, okay, well, or do not, not realize that they actually need to register as a provisional taxpayer. So a very good question. Um, in the sense, when you receive employment income or anything other than employment income, you need to be registered as a provisional taxpayer because the whole purpose of uh, provisional returns is for you to declare income that you received um, where taxes was not withheld from. So it's rental income or, or, or and another, well, interesting um, area is in terms of foreign income. And when you work for a foreign employer where taxes are not withheld, I mean, in the sense, you need to then submit a provisional return as well. Um, so when you receive any any income other than employment income where taxes were not withheld from, you need to consider yourself as a provisional taxpayer and take a look at that. Mm. So, yeah, anyone for rental income obviously is a very good good example of that. And, again, a lot of people, they rent out, they have properties, they don't yeah. realise they're supposed to be provisional taxpayers. And then I think also if you if you, if you you sell assets where you, you trigger the capital gains tax of more than 40,000 rand profit, um, yeah. then you, you also could be a provisional taxpayer for that year. Yeah, um, because in terms of capital gains tax, it's not an ongoing event. Um, otherwise, we would see an income of nature. But so in, in general, if you had one capital gain disposal, it's fine to declare an annual return. You do not have to run to immediately register as provisional, um, uh, provisional tax returns uh, or provisional taxpayer. You can just declare an annual return. That would be fine. Um, but if it becomes a continuous accrual of um, earnings, that's not from uh, employment source, mm. then it's good. It's important to register as a provisional taxpayer. I want to get back to that point you made about earning a foreign income. Um, because also the, the commission, I know you wrote a, a press release on this. Um, and this is all about when are you a South African tax resident? When are you not a South African tax resident? What does all of this mean? So maybe just because he did make a really big point about it this year, and I think this is going to come under a lot of scrutiny. So just give me a little bit of insight into what you're seeing there. Yes. So in the past, a lot of South African states, the country, and, and, and SARS himself, I don't believe, was very strict on uh, South Africans living and working abroad. Because South Africa was always a res- uh, source-based tax system where you're only taxed on any earnings that you receive from a South African source. But in 2001, we moved over to a residence-based tax system where you are taxed on your worldwide earnings. And therefore, your worldwide earnings need to be declared to SARS um, subject to the foreign exemption, foreign tax credits. So, and if we touch on tax residents and whether you're tax residents in Africa or not, um, so Africa has two residence tests, which is the ordinary residence test and the physical presence test. Um, so the ordinary residence test has to do with your intention and the steps that you're taking to make your intention clear. 
So whether you intend to be a tax resident in South Africa and, and whether you intend to reside in South Africa and to work in South Africa. Um, and the baseline that's used um, in previous case law as well is where do you return after your one week? So where do you return after vacation on a continuous basis? Where do you return after business trips? Um, where's your central place of residence? Um, basically, where's your home? That's where you'll be seen as a tax resident. And mm-hmm. in most cases, it's still South Africa, especially for South Africans who go to, let's say, the UAE to work there. Um, they're only working for two, three years, but they intend to come back to South Africa. For those two, three years, they'll continue to be seen as tax residents and they'll need to submit their tax returns declaring their foreign income and subject to the foreign exemption. And in the case of the UAE, you don't have foreign tax credits because there's no taxes paid in the UAE. Um, But an alternative option is also to utilize double tax agreements. And and utilizing a double tax agreement, you are deeming yourself an exclusive tax resident of another country in terms of the tiebreaker test within the agreement. So it's, it's like steps that you take to determine which country has a primary taxing rights on your income. Um, mm-hmm. So the first step is where's your permanent home? Secondly, where's your economic and social interest the closest? Where's your habitual abode? Where do you spend the majority of your time? Um, of which country are your nationals also a factor to consider? And as soon as you um, become exclusive tax resident of the other country in terms of the BTA, then you automatically get non-resident for tax purposes in South Africa for the specific year of assessment. So that needs to be assessed each year. And yeah, so you always need to declare your earnings in accordance with your tax resident status, whether it's non-resident or tax resident. Um, always and, make sure you- and I, I can't even begin, if anybody's listening to this and is living overseas or you know, it come, has come back or it, it, it works, earns an income abroad, it's really worth getting advice because this stuff has become so complex and so difficult and you can find yourself with such a difficult uh, tax bill to deal with. I mean, just as an example, you were saying, you know, if you are now deemed, if you now deem yourself a non-tax resident um, and now you're a tax resident in Dubai, you trigger a deemed, uh, deemed sale of every single asset that you had prior to, to being a resident in Dubai, which it is is it um, capital gains tax in South Africa? So I mean, it's 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 complicated stuff. Yeah, definitely. So that deemed disposal, well, that's the biggest thing that South looks at, is based on your investments, based on your your asset foreign property. So it includes all forms of investment, all, all types of assets, excluding South African movable property, retirement interests, and 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 personal use assets. And um, all other investments you are deemed of disposing of, and it creates a tax liability towards SARS. Mm. Definitely, I think I can. You know, if you're going to be immigrating, financial and, and change your tax residency, you need to be very aware of this. And I think also, you know, uh, maybe a final comment. I mean, obviously, there's some countries that are, are quite tax friendly, but many European countries, for example, the taxes are much cheaper here. You're actually much better <laughs> to stay as a tax resident in South Africa. But yeah. I sort of get a sense that the world is after our money, right? Every every yeah. government wants their share of our hard work and they seem to all be fighting over it at the moment. It's like, no, they're our tax resident. No, they're our tax resident. <laughs> so, I, had a, I had a client last week that there was like three, the revenue service of three different countries that contacted or that he basically actually, in terms of their residence, says they taxes too, but then you, know, you just streamline the process and, and it's very important to align your factual situation with your tax resident status at SARS. Mm. Um, the SARS cannot just assume your factual situation. It needs to be formalized. 
And, and if you are actually a factually a non-resident, you need to make sure that you prove to SARS that you do not fulfill this African residence test um, when you do not intend to return to South Africa. And um, that's extremely important. And to deal with that in disposal. Mm. Sure, I tell you, when it comes to that, I think, it, so we've gone from, for, you, you can, you've gone from auto assessment where everything's done for you and it's very smooth, all of this to this yeah. whole like non-resident, resident, foreign earnings, complicated yeah. stuff. So probably if you're, you're a nicely automated uh, auto assessment person, you probably don't need a tax practitioner. It's all very smooth. But if you're moving into this other space, you know, it's probably worth paying for, for some really good advice. And I know this, I've got a family member going through all of this at the moment, um, and it's really challenging for her. So, so that would be my advice to anyone listening. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So with the auto assessments, just to come back to our first point, I mean, that's why, if you know you're receiving other income, such as foreign income or anything, it's submit your return. Don't mm. just rely on the auto assessments. Make sure that SARS is aware of your income in accordance with your tax status. Because mm. in the notice that Edward Kisvetsa gener- um, well, released early, earlier the year or, or earlier the month or two months, um, he hammered on, well, didn't hammer on it, but he advised that we requires to submit a tax return. And he said, if you are working abroad and you didn't even specify an amount, you need to submit a tax return. If you are working in South Africa and you receive income, unemployment income, you need to submit the tax return. So it is clear that SARS focuses on that. And I, I believe the reason for that is it puts them in a position to question your earnings as well. So if they do not agree with what you are declaring, um, they can select your return for verification audit and and ask you to exp- expand on what you declared or um, if they are suspicious of some other earnings that you might have received, um, then they can question that. And so just to, I think, let's take it to the submission of return. So who are required to submit a return? Uh, in general, if you earn more than the thresholds um, and you're receiving bond income, it's good to submit a return. But as mentioned, there are other factors or other situations where you also need to submit return, even if you did not earn more than threshold. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there is a requirement that you do not need to submit a return. If you receive employment income from only one employer or, or one source, um, and you earn less than 500,000 rand for the tax year, you do not need to submit a return. But for me, that's very dangerous because you never know um, whether the pays you only paid on a monthly basis um, that was without from the employer, whether they actually paid it over to SARS. So it, it, they could have just used it for personal use or for bus- other business-related mm. stuff. Um, so it's important to review your return, make sure the pay you earn is reflected on your RP5. And even if there is a well, if there is RP5, you need to confirm that and make sure the return is submitted accordingly. And yeah, in some cases, you have uh, your taxpayers who earn less than the threshold and their employers... Um, without like uh, withhold like a, a specific amount of pays you earn and and where they did not have to withhold pays you earn. So then they can make it a refund from SARS because mm-hmm. they earn less than the threshold. So yeah, it's always, always important to submit the tax return. Um, doesn't matter what your situation is. Absolutely. So so advice 101 is when in doubt, submit a tax return. And in submitting a tax return, that can also be receiving the auto assessment going in, verifying it, checking it, making sure it's okay. That's the same kind of thing. Go in, just go and check, double check, even if you've been 
you've been selected for auto assessment. Just make sure everything's what it should be. Um, you're not missing out on a deduction and you're also paying the tax that you should be paying because SARS will find you. <laughs> no, that's correct. Yeah. Well, thank you so much um, for, for giving us some insights into this and uh, good luck for your tax season yourself as tax practitioner and good luck to all of you out there. And of course, if any of you have any questions about your tax returns, you can pop them in this um in the post and uh, I'll go back to run it and go and get your answers for you. But uh, also remember to please subscribe uh, both to the podcast and of course, to my YouTube channel. Thank you very much.